week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we discuss the latest EF platforms, BGFS, and using NetApp HCI with NetApp E-Series. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today we've got a couple of guests to talk about the NetApp E-Series. So first of all, we're going to talk to Mitch Blackburn. So Mitch, uh, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Hey, uh, good to be on your your podcast, Justin. Uh, Mitch Blackburn, uh, you reach me at mitch.blackburn at netapp.com. I'm a E-Series, EF-Series tech marketing engineer, been with NetApp about uh, eight years now, just a little past the time uh, NetApp bought uh, E-Series, and uh, here to talk about EF-Series in particular today. All right, excellent. Also with us today, we have Sean Lee. Uh, Sean, what do you do and how do we reach you? I'm solution architect on Apex Solution Engineers team, um, and I focus on various solutions related to public and the private cloud. Um, I'm reachable on GitHub at Scaleout Sean, also in the NetApp um, pub Slack. You can find me in the HCI channel and on Twitter, Scaleout Sean. Thanks. All right, excellent. So, like I said, today we're going to talk about the NetApp E-Series, um, and specifically we're going to talk about the new platforms and some some other things uh, regarding the E-Series that you may be interested in. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like for Mitch to give us the 10,000-foot view. Uh, what is a NetApp E-Series? Okay, thanks, uh, Justin. Uh, you know, last night I told you earlier I was trying to I was trying to think of a, a joke I could use today. Um, and as I was working on that, I, I came up with... Um, not a joke, but what hit me was uh, what we're talking about. Something today is something old, E-Series, been around uh, 25 years now, uh, actually. Something new, we're going to talk about EF-Series, and in particular, the new uh, NVMe, and then NVMe platforms. We have something borrowed, so today we're also going to talk about HCI plus uh, EF-Series. But the final thing that it is that it's all NetApp Blue. It's all covered by NetApp, um, which is important for our customers uh, from a support standpoint and from our partners and sales team on how they can do that. So E-Series, what is it? Um, E-Series is block storage. It doesn't have a file system on it. So uh, it looks to the application, and we're going to talk some about solutions today. It looks back to the application to provide data management features. So we don't do things like compression and dedupe. We let the application do that. So uh, one thing that we're going to talk about, and Sean's going to talk about more today, is like Splunk, where we let Splunk do the compression. When, it, when it's on it, it does compression. And we let Splunk do the tiering. So it take, handles those data management features. So E-Series allows the application to handle the data management for it. Uh, as I said, E-Series has been around about 25 years now. So it's very hardened. Uh, HA is a, um, it's a big thing for us. We have six nines reliability. So we do things like uh, dual controller, 
uh, dual power supply, dual fans, dual paths to all drives to make sure that your data is protected. Then we also have, we, this is kind of initially, as, as we move into SSD realm, let's say our EF, we have uh, our hybrids. So E5700 and E2800. But the nice thing about them is their flexibility so that they allow you to have hard drives in there and SSD drives. And if you have SSD drives in them, a 5700 or 2800, you can get the same performance you could get out of an EF570 or an EF280 that are based on the same platform uh, there. So with an EF280, it's kind of our, our entry level, lowest, lowest level performance. We can get about 300,000 IOPS and um, 10 gigabits per second of read throughput on that. It's really an affordable array. Uh, you can have up to 1.4 petabytes uh, of storage in it. Uh, it provides 367 terabytes in a 2U if you want to do that. Up from that comes our EF570 which is the best price performance for SAS arrays that you're gonna find there. 367 terabytes in, uh, in 2U, again, like the EF280, and it goes up to 1.8 petabytes possible there. So it actually hits 1 million IOPS and can do 21 gigabytes per second of, of read throughput with sub 120 uh, second micro, microsecond latency there. So really much better performance. You get right bandwidth in the range of nine gigabytes per second in less than 460 microseconds. And it provides uh, NVMe over fabrics on your host, as well as SCSI-based host interfaces to you. As we move in an upward direction, I'm just going to mention the EF300. This is our, our newest platform. And it again, to you, 367 terabytes right now, the EF300 or end-to-end -end NVMe platforms and the EF600 don't have uh, any expansion shelves to them. So they're just a 2U uh, there. So um, with the EF300, we have 670,000 IOPS, but the same read throughput as an EF570, so 21 gigabytes per second, with that same sub 122nd micro microsecond latency. And we also have the same write bandwidth. And I find this totally cool. This is based on because of those NVMe drives. So you see, even though we can't hit quite the same IOPS performance with an EF300, it's a lot less money than an EF570 because it is an entry level. But if throughput and latency is what you're about. And a lot of times the solutions we want on EF series, such as high performance databases, and analytics or um, AI work great on an EF300. It's a great platform, especially if you're, you're getting started at entry level two, it's a great platform for you. And finally, our highest performance platform is the EF600. So um, it's a mid-level, mid mid-range um, EF series. It's delivering up to 2 million, of, uh, 2 million IOs per second and read throughputs of 44 gigabytes per second. So it, it's doubling what we have on our EF570 or EF300, and it's got sub 100 microsecond latency there. Right bandwidths are in the 12 gigabyte, 12 and a half gigabytes per second range in less than 300 microseconds. 
And then, of course, we both the EF300 and the EF600 support the NVMe over fiber channel, NVMe uh, over uh, Rocky. So that's uh, RDMA over converged Ethernet, if you don't know the acronym, and NVMe over InfiniBand there. So then just recently, we've also added to our EF600 and our EF300 came out with all the SCSI base. So we have iSCSI. Uh, host interfaces, fiber channel host interfaces, and InfiniBand host interfaces uh, on both of those. So the flexibility there for our customers is huge and whatever you need to do. And, and what also is, is huge to me uh, is if you're not ready to go to NVMe uh, fully yet in your data center. So you haven't, you're not buying those uh, um, host interface cards that you that would be required, those kind of things for NVMe yet, you can start with SCSI. You can go ahead and hook it up with the, the SCSI-based um, uh, host interfaces. You're, you're, you're going to see a performance drop. You won't see exactly the same performance if you're not using NVMe, but you can still use that. And when you're ready in your data center to move to NVMe, you easily can. And f- for most of our uh, people on the, on the podcast, if they're not don't know uh, modern switches today. So if you have current switches uh, in your data center, they're probably already set to manage NVMe. So you, you won't have any issue there. You really just need to buy the new cards into your host in order to, to do that. So it's easy to do. We're trying to make it even easier for you if that's what you want to, what you want to uh, move to, excuse me. Um, and that kind of gives us a uh, overview there, Justin, if you will. So that's an overview of the platforms. Um, as far as E-Series goes, what are the use cases? Like, what are people using it for the most? Okay. I think it, the um, the big thing for EF-Series in particular, probably the biggest thing for EF-Series, I'm going to say, is high-performance databases. Is is Oracle is really, really a big use case uh, for EF series, um, we have a couple uh, very large online retailers who use EF series in their data centers with Oracle. And you know, sometimes you you people might think, well, you don't have any expansion shelf there, unlike your EF six hundred. Uh, but even our EF five seventy generally sells without the expansion shelf, and that's because if you're use, doing Oracle, uh, our customers are using Oracle ASM to bring all that together with the cost of um, the NVMe drives, the right, the SSD drives in, or the NVMe drives are, are what's generally expensive in the storage array. So they just get a new, a new controller shelf, two new controllers and scale it straight out that way. So they can scale throughput, scale their IOs per second, just scale it straight out, use Oracle ASM to tie it all together, provides that scale out feature. Uh, it's really nice. And, and that's, you know, without a, without having something, uh, some kind of uh, file system on our array, we don't have nice ways. It, it doesn't scale out by itself. It needs an application to do that. And Oracle is a great product for that, something like Oracle ASM. So for EF series, that's a great, a great, uh, a great fit. Another thing, I, I was shocked last week, so I, I got a a um, call from one of my colleagues, and and they were saying, oh, we just sold an EF six hundred for backup," and I was like, "What? Who 
buys an EF600 for backup. Nobody buys EF600 for backup. Uh, let me, you know, uh, let me let me do some research. So I, I contact, contacted the sales team about it, and they were like, "Yep, we, yeah, we have a customer who bought it strictly for backup because what they're trying to do, they have an Oracle environment, and you know, there's a lot of ways to backup an Oracle environment, but they're um, very conservative, and so they were like, well, every night we do." They do a traditional Oracle backup, and it's got to co- complete in its backup window. And in order to have enough performance to do that in their backup window, they required an EF600. So they were using EF600 to do their backup. But that's also a, a great um, uh, use case for uh, E-Series generally. And starting to be, as, as I just pointed out, EF series, even for the entry-level EF is, is what I would say, uh, can be a great use case as, as well as video surveillance systems. Uh, also make a great use case because we have such good uh, bandwidth. We're very good at sequential rights and handling that and VSS and um, um, backup and recovery both take a lot of that. So we're a really good platform for doing backup and video surveillance systems. And we continue doing video surveillance for, um, I, I work on that weekly on, on those kind of applications. We also are doing a lot in high performance computing. This is something we do really well. Uh, and again, this is the application. So high performance computing, if you're not uh, familiar with it, it, generally it uses a parallel file system. And parallel file systems allow for that scale out capability. So what they have is metadata servers, and then they have the data servers as well. So a lot of times with the E-series, uh, EF-series, so uh, what we we see a lot of and we had a, a big purchase uh, like this not too awful long ago, is that the, um, the metadata servers, they'll use EF series and they'll buy a lot of EF series to do that. And then for the data itself, they'll use E series, something like an E5700. And, and a good example of that from uh, last year, they bought, oh, I don't know, it must've been 40, 50 EF600s as well as a lot of EF, uh, E5700s, they were upgrading their whole national infrastructure there for high-performance computing and supercomputing. And they used the EF600, a lot of that gets used for scratch space, where they need very high performance. They're just writing it, reading it, it gets rid of it, they don't care. It just has to be fast. Or you're writing a lot of data fast. So you, you can imagine when you have the super collider and Every, you know, you get a collision and everything comes out. That data has to be written fast. It has to get out of there fast and be written out. And so they have very large uh, environments. So hundreds, maybe even thousands of nodes where they have to write their data fast. And E-Series scales out really well with parallel file systems. We, we find them a lot in large scientific institutes where they need it. Uh, we're also seeing a shift in that to now uh, a lot of companies that need those for things like AI, where they're looking to do uh, more of that in even smaller AI environments. So they can use an EF300 for their metadata, 
And then they can use an E5700 or an E2800 to write the data itself there to do AI type work. So parallel file systems that we work with, we work with uh, Spectrum Scale from IBM. We do a lot of work with them. We also work with Lustre, which is an open source parallel file system. And then here in the last couple of years, we've put a lot of time and effort into a newer product called BGFS. It's also a parallel file system and it's from ThinkPark. They're out of Germany. Um, and we actually support them as well. We provide level one and level two support for BGFS. So if you uh, buy EF series or E series with BGFS, you also, when you, if you have any issues, you can call us and we'll provide you support for it at the same time. So really a great way to go. Uh, we have a lot of faith in BGFS and it's just starting to take off. It's at, at this point, a lot of times it gets used for things like scratch face, uh, people just beginning entry level. Uh, it's also an open source product. Uh, so uh, can be a great product uh, for people to get started with in parallel file systems. The other thing to keep, uh, keep in mind about uh, a lot of the big uh, laboratories in particular, those kind of areas, is they're using InfiniBand because they need to maintain low latency. That's really a key a lot of times in, in the HPC world is low latency. So a lot of them are using InfiniBand as well. And that's why we, we provide it not only on our EF600 and the, now the EF300 has it, but also the EF, uh, EF570, E5700, we have it there as well. So earlier you mentioned that the E-Series supports um, Rocky and, and it, where does that fit in in terms of InfiniBand? Like, you know, does it, is it a replacement or is it, you know, the future of InfiniBand? Where does, where does that all go? Uh, it, it's, it's not really, it's, it's somewhat uh, of a replacement. So with Rocky, like I said, it's RDMA over converged Ethernet. So you can think of it as an Ethernet replacement if you if you would like I wouldn't call it a replacement for InfiniBand it's just a um, another host interface uh, that people like to use that does Ethernet so you can keep your Ethernet environment in place and make use of of Rocky um, when you're looking at from a hardware perspective if you were looking at our servers you're going to use the same uh, hicks that uh, you would use for invent InfiniBand you would use with NVMe over uh, Rocky as well. So it makes it makes it simpler uh, for our customers to do. And also, I, I just wanted to mention, we're also providing NVMe over fiber channel, which also is makes it easy for customers. Again, we want low latency, but they're not wanting to change out their whole environment to especially InfiniBand environment. Well, like I said, with the Rocky, they can, they can stick with their Ethernet environment, which makes it simple for them to, to gain that performance. So 100 gigabit uh, type car, uh, hicks on that. So gain higher performance, but without changing out their whole in infrastructure. And NVMe over fiber channel, uh, that's running, runs at 32 gigabit. Uh, it also helps the customer not have to change out their whole environment uh, if that's what they want to stay with. You were touting the benefits of an E-series with things like high-performance computing and video workloads and that sort of thing. And there's one commonality between all these types of workloads, and that's the fact that it's sequential I.O. for the most part. Why yes. is E-series so good with something like a sequential I.O.? And, and, and how does it do with something like a high metadata workload? As I also mentioned, like so the high metadata workload, 
then we're talking about a lot of IOs there. Um, so as I mentioned, we also have high IOs per second there. So we do well with random workloads uh, where we're reading a lot of uh, a lot of metadata there can work very well. Uh, EF 600, 2 million IOs per second. EF 300, 670,000. The EF 570, 1 million IOs per second. So we do well with random workloads as well. Uh, read very fast. And, and a lot of what we find, um, especially in especially in the um, uh, database environment, very few customers actually get anywhere near to needing that kind of performance. It's, you know, they're they're much more to, in tune uh, with latency, the, you know, with and sequential uh, data than they are in I/O. So they they do need high performance, and SSD drives have absolutely uh, provided that. But they're not getting uh, anywhere near two million. There's there's very few of our customers that truly need that top of the line uh, performance or hitting up at that top of the line performance. But when they do, they love E series or EF series, I should say, the EF six hundred, the EF five seventy, because they can't get that kind of performance and reliability with the or I should say price performance and reliability anywhere else. That's why they're buying us. So I imagine when it comes down to those workloads, it's not so much the E-series that's the point of contention. It's more of the file system that you put on top of the E-series, right? That's, absol- that's absolutely right there. So, and, and you have to have a file system with, with E-series, whether it's, as we, we mentioned, BGFS, parallel file system. Um, if you're going to use a Windows server, if you're going to use a Linux server, uh, so ext4. If you're on Linux or you know Windows NTFS, uh, NTFS. If you're going to use uh, a Windows file system, whatever it is, it, it's a lot of what what the holdup can be. But uh, a nice thing with these series is we also can have you know multiple file systems running and be connected. So you can have you can have a Windows server connected to LUNs on your E-series and at the same time have Linux servers connected to LUNs on your E-series. And and it can work just fine. And actually for in a general environment, you'll see a lot of that, especially where you have a um, customers. You know, I've mentioned a lot of our large customers who buy a lot of E-series, but there's a lot of customers out there that just need to do uh, simpler things. They need to run a backup. They have an Oracle database or SQL Server database. They need good performance on it. They're, they they want high performance, um, but they also need it to do other things. And and for that, it, it can be really nice to be running your Oracle database on Linux on your E-series. Uh, let's take an E5700 as an example. I can be running Oracle Linux and hitting my Oracle database uh, on there, and I've got SSD drives in, the, in my uh, 4U60 uh, storage array, and I've got 24 SSDs in there for my database. But I've also got nearline SAS drives in there because i got to back that up. And so you know, not only am I going to be running my high-performance database, but I'm going to be running my backup as well and using that one architecture to do both. And it will do both well. It will do that sequential writes out for my backup and provide me that high I/O for an OLTP database during the day when I'm needing that. We talked about you talked about scale earlier. What sort of scale are we looking at with the E series, both the number of nodes as well as capacity? Like how big can these things get? So uh, uh, scale up, if you will, on an E series. Um, 
can be a 5700 that can take um, eight 4U60 shelves. So that's 480 drives. Right now, we put 16 terabyte drives uh, in that. I believe that's 7.6 petabytes of storage is possible on a scale up. Uh, and we're also looking 18 terabyte drives are gonna be available very soon. So within the next two months or so, we'll have 18 terabyte drives out. Uh, so a lot of scale up, if you will, if that's what you're needing that much capacity. And we do have a few customers that do need that kind of capacity or scaling up like that, where you have huge, like maybe a huge data lake or something like that. Uh, you also have on the scale out front, though, because E-Series doesn't have uh, or EF-Series doesn't have a, um, a file system on it. That, re that means you're requiring uh, the OS to be, you know, the, or the um, applications you're using, excuse me, software applications you're using to provide that scale out capability. So as I mentioned, Oracle, you're using Oracle ASM. You can scale out that way. Um, how many nodes I, that might be, I, I, I don't know. I know I've seen it as, me, as many as 20 nodes on a scale out in Oracle. Could be more, uh, but that's just what I'm familiar with. For the parallel file system environments where I was talking about, there you can have thousands of nodes. You can scale out with one namespace. So it can be huge that it scales out to. You mentioned BGFS and you mentioned E-Series um, being able to handle that. I understand that E-Series also can uh, work alongside of NetApp HCI. So Sean is here to kind of talk about that. So Sean, why would we want to use a NetApp HCI with an E-Series? Well, one thing I like to tell to our HCI prospects is that NetApp is not a single product company. Unlike some of our HCI uh, friends or competitors, you know, when we think HCI, NetApp HCI is optimal solution for customers' requirements, we recommend it. If we think it's not, we recommend other product that might be more appropriate. Sometimes it is um, AFF, sometimes it's E-Series, sometimes it's something else. And then if we think they'll be better off by managing data across both NetApp HCI and ONTAP arrays, for example, we'll suggest that. So I think that's the kind of the origin of this mixed combination between NetApp ACI and other products that we have, including ONTAP and E-Series. For example, last time I conducted a VDI POC, a uh, customer asked for, HCI, for an ACI platform for VDI, and then arranged for a fast array to be shipped to customer together with the NetApp ACI system. So a customer asked me, it's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you bringing this ONTAP system? I asked for HCI. You know, I just told them, trust me, just run this POC and put user profiles and file shares on ONTAP and you will save a lot of time later because ultimately you will discover you do need a proper physical NAS appliance for your VDI workload. And indeed, you know, after they finished all the testing, they were most or actually almost more worried about file serving data protection than about the actual VDI workload. So, uh, you know, along those lines, I, I, I've been also interested in combining the best of uh, both E-Series and HCI in some solutions. And late last year, colleagues from the E-Series team let me access an idle setup with a 615C, which is a compute node from HCI and uh, E-Series uh, EF280 array. So I thought, although I was on vacation, I should just go back you know, to, to VPN and login and try to do as much testing and you know, check out a couple of workloads that I've been interested in for a long time. So how exactly does this all work? How does how does HCI tie into the E-Series? Like, wh how is it connected, and what is it actually doing there? 
Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, so, you know, you would think, you know, especially after listening to Mitch, you know, there are all these fancy things that you could do, which is true with E-series, but in HCI environments, usually, I mean, almost most of um, HCI out there, mainstream ones, uh, anyway, they all use Ethernet, and then they connect to storage, whether it's internal or external, uh, with uh, NFS or iSCSI. So with um, ONTAP, when you connect to uh, FAST or AFF arrays, we use uh, mostly NFS, sometimes iSCSI, especially when we do um, a snap mirror. With E-series, we then likewise can use only one of those, which is iSCSI, because there is no file system, so we need to connect to those as uh, block devices. So we attach with iSCSI, and then we can do either um, PRDM and use expose those iSCSI devices directly to virtual machines running on VMware or other solutions that we support on NetApp HCI, or we can let VMware format those devices with VMFS and use them as data stores. What kind of logic was behind your selection for, for application and workloads when you were doing your testing? Uh, yeah, that, that that was something interesting, you know. Likewise, you know, with with um, on tap, you you would kind of know what what stuff people usually you know uh, put on uh, on tap systems, such as user shares, shares, uh, and all these other applications that are that are really extremely suitable for on tap. For e series, likewise, I look at the list. You know, I've been working with e series actually for quite a while before even even before it was acquired by by NetApp. Uh, so I, I know what a bread and butter applications, and I went down the list of m- more popular workloads. Uh, a lot of them were mentioned by Mitch, and I thought, okay, so I'm going to eliminate all those that cannot uh, or should not run on NetApp HCI, and then I narrowed down a couple, and I figured, okay, I'm going to test uh, BGFS, I'm going to test uh, Splunk, and I'm going to test Elasticsearch because I thought those were uh, interesting in terms of um, utilizing both NetApp HCI system, the networking stack in E-series, and usually customers, when they implement these things, they are not focused only on one thing. Maybe, you know, I need X capacity or need uh, Y gigahertz of CPU or something like that. They want an end-to-end planning and solutioning. So I checked out those three. What other workloads did you try? I mean, were there any certain applications you were targeting? You know, how, what was your methodology there? Yeah, so for BGFS, uh, I picked that one because in recent years, I've been working since uh, with NetApp HCI since uh, it was launched. So over the years, I've noticed certain patterns. Sometimes you have customers who want to move to an HCI type of architecture, but they do have one or two odd workloads that might be requiring a very heavy IO workload, uh, usually sequential, and that data sometimes tends to be... Uh, inefficient or pre-compressed. So we cannot really um, take full advantage of compression and duplication. And um, you know, then you either have to say, sorry, it's gonna cost you the ton of money to run this on HCI, or you can say you cannot use HCI because it's gonna be too expensive. You should use the classic kind of three-tier architecture. So I thought, uh, well, with NetApp HCI, we can attach to E-series and just uh, move those workloads to E-series and customer can still manage their compute and even storage for virtual machines 
and get full convenience of HCI while at the same time getting the performance and other benefits from E-Series. So that was the reason uh, for BGFS. And you know what are the tip, like applications and use cases that I've seen, sometimes it's video and image processing, but also I've seen genomics and that kind of thing, you know, compressed files, um, sequential IO, and uh, large amounts of data. You know, if you have one terabyte of compressed files, it doesn't matter, but if you have, you know, 300 terabytes of um, genomic uh, files, then that will be very expensive and it still won't work fast enough on general ISCAS, uh, general HCI storage. Not, not just NetApp, right, on any, it will be too expensive. And then for Splunk and Elasticsearch, uh, like I said, um, when when these workloads get to medium kind of size, uh, you really need to pay attention to the entire stack from CPU to memory to I/O, and it's very heavy. And what I've seen is sometimes other uh, HCI platforms they um, deploy these workloads on shared core HCI, and it just doesn't work well at all. It is very expensive. It is slow and it requires a lot more software because every HCI node requires quite a hefty uh, software stack. So uh, moving or keeping those data on E-series storage is really a great fit in my mind. So within the name BGFS, there's there's GFS, and I'm guessing that's kind of analogous to something like Gluster File System. Is that kind of where BGFS is falling? Is, is it like a simpler to set up Gluster? Um, yeah, I have not worked with Gluster. I've worked with several other cluster file systems, uh, some of them Mitch mentioned, uh, some of them for years. Uh, BGFS, you know, I know that NetApp offers uh, Ansible-based installers for it, but they are made to work with E-series and bare metal servers. I did find a community Ansible module for BGFS, and I used that from HCI Virtual Machines. And within uh, literally a couple of hours from getting started, I was doing gigabytes per second from virtual machines in a BGFS cluster attached to E-series. So I was quite impressed how easy it was to set up. And indeed, that is what BGFS claims, you know, one of the goals is to, or priorities, is to make it really simple and um, able to get started within uh, hours or even minutes. You know, once I got it to run, I was able to redeploy uh, BGFS with Ansible in less than 10 minutes. So, uh, yeah, it was really nice to work with, and I was surprised how easy it was. You mentioned you also test, you, you were also testing Splunk. Um, how did that go, and what, what sort of tests were you running with Splunk? Like, how are you using it? Uh, that, that's another good one. So I, I started and I installed everything using the latest Splunk, and I hit some, as it later turned out, known issues um, related to Python. Um, there's event generator, event gen uh, application that can generate logs. But that uh, it's a known issue that I discovered later, so I had to reinstall, and then I ran out of time. So eventually, I ended up uh, running some of the workloads using uh, recommended settings for Bonnie and FIO benchmark. So I ran these two, and I got really, really encouraging results. Um, basically, I found out that I should be able to run um, a number of HCI nodes to one EF280. So in other words, for example, with um, eight HCI nodes that could run, for example, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 virtual machines with Splunk indexer, I could uh, need maybe potentially just maybe two E-series arrays for that kind of workload. So it looks like we can really concentrate all the IO on E-series and keep it there uh, for what it does really well. And then uh, that allows us to keep the number of HCI nodes also at a very minimum, because there we just end up, compu uh, end up consuming 
uh, compute and CPU on compute nodes. So that was really nice. Um, and then also another thing that I was interesting in, interested in is that Splunk has uh, in recent versions, since version seven, they have something called uh, Smart Store. So that is the ability to move uh, older index files and raw data to an object store, which we have in the form of our flagship object store solution storage grid. And as some of the listeners probably know, Storage Grid also has a virtual machine version. So with one E-series, uh, we can, an ATI, we can run Splunk indexers and use E-series for hot data. But then also we can have another um, DDP pool or RAID group where we can configure Storage Grid cluster and then move those older um, index files and, and raw data to Storage Grid. I think a lot of customers who are, um, you know, growing their Splunk footprint, they look for ways to optimize their uh, storage environment. And the Splunk solution for Smart Store together with Storage Grid allows us to start this on an HCI plus E-series platform. And as they grow, we can actually expand that Storage Grid cluster with physical Storage Grid appliances. If they grow to large enough a footprint, they can then graciously remove virtual machines from the cluster and end up with Splunk's smart store using exclusively storage grid object storage appliances. So there are a couple of interesting things there. I think we're just getting started uh, with kind of finding uh, some of these very interesting use cases that are also being quite uh, popular among people that I've shared this information with. So also if anyone who is listening is interested in uh, this kind of scale-out workloads for smaller HPC, which can be done with BGFS, or maybe some analytics workloads with applications that Mitch mentioned, or Splunk, or Elasticsearch, or NoSQL databases that can run in virtual machines. Please reach out to us, and maybe we can see what else we can do for you guys. Earlier, you talked about HCI and E-Series, and I guess I want a clarification here. So are we talking about HCI compute and storage, or are we just talking about just the compute piece? Either way can uh, be used. Uh, some customers, they only are interested in HCI compute nodes and they want to attach E-series. So in that case, that's the only two things that you need to buy. So no HCI storage in that case, you just attach to E-series either uh, with Mellanox switches, any other high performance enterprise switches, or even directly. If on the other hand, also you have um, a lot of virtual machines, maybe you have some containers and other stuff, you can also use E-series together with existing HCI. One example of that, that is quite popular, Mitch mentioned backup. So sometimes people have HCI, which includes HCI compute nodes and storage nodes, but they need a second copy on premises and uh, given the great speed and, and um, flexibility of E-series, they might put their backup data on E-series. So you can use it either way, uh, both as standalone compute nodes or attach E-series and HCI in one um, system that has two storage backends. Okay, so you can actually leverage, you know, kind of a hybrid solution and use the E-series as your your fast, you know, cheap and deep storage and, and let you use HCI's operating system yes. kind of handle all the rest of it. Exactly. So, you know, similarly to what I said at the very beginning, sometimes we might have a VDI environment with probably, you know, 500 users, 1,000 users. So in that case, we would definitely not recommend to keep user profiles and user shares on HCI because it's harder to backup and it will just cost you more, right? So in that case, we would attach uh, ONTAP and use that to 
keep user shares and profiles there. So likewise, if you have some workload, like I mentioned, BGFS or something like that, you really don't want to buy ACI um, storage nodes for that. In that case, we would recommend to attach E-series so you can have two or three different storage backends attached to the same VMware or even use them directly as uh, raw devices. Okay. And I would also like to add one more thing. You know, sometimes people say, well, no, so now I'm adding another backend. Will that be complicated? I can tell you from what I've seen with other um, ACI vendors, sometimes it looks by that by adding additional nodes with shared core HCI, you can kind of escape the, the pre predicament of shared core HCI infrastructure. And what happens is they spend a lot more money. Uh, you might need to buy maybe three um, shared core HCI nodes to run the same workload they can do by simply adding one EF280. It will be easier to manage because I will not have to troubleshoot performance and it will also be lower cost. So there are many uh, nice things about this, uh, you know, similar value proposition as for adding um, on-tap appliances when workloads are suitable for on-tap. All right, Mitch, Sean, thanks so much for joining us today and talking to us all about the uh, NetApp E-Series and EF platforms. So Mitch, if we wanted to find more information out there about EF, uh, how do we do that? Uh, well, uh, one, you can contact me, mitch.blackburn at netapp.com. I'd be happy to uh, provide you any information I have. But the easier thing to do, because I'm only one person, uh, is just to uh, search our NetApp site. I would use Google to do it. Uh, for any information you want, uh, we have information on Splunk, BGFS, our new EF300, our EF600, EF570, EF280 is all out there. All you have to do is search for it, and you can find that information. All right. And, Sean, if we wanted to contact you, uh, how would we do that? Uh, please find me in the NetApp uh, community Slack in the NetApp HCI channel or uh, post your questions or feedback in the NetApp community, um, basically anywhere. Um, I check it out quite frequently. So if you find me online, maybe in the Slack or leave your questions in the community chat and I will try to respond there. All right, excellent. Oh, Justin, I had one more thing before I forget. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, for those that have E-Series questions that are happen to be NetApp folks or partners uh, that are listening to uh, the NG E-Series info always gets answered by somebody. All right, thanks so much. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or podcast.com. If you'd like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Mitch Blackburn and Sean Lee for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.